I just uh, realized this past week that I haven't told a good joke for a while. Some of you say I've never told a good joke, I know. So I'm going to tell one bad one and one good one. Okay, here's the bad one. And this guy got off of Facebook from one of you, so don't blame me. Why did Humpty Dumpty love autumn? Because they had a great fall. <laughs> okay, here's the good one. Did you hear about the invisible man that married the invisible woman? Their kids weren't much to look at either. All right. Well, we have a vision for this church that includes several elements, and one of them is that this church be healthy financially. I've got some ringing going on up here, if you can take care of that. Anyway, this church be healthy financially, and of course, what is the church? It's people. It's you and me. It's us. And so we need to be healthy financially, and that doesn't mean we have to be rich, but we do have to look at riches from God, finances from God's perspective. So we are looking at what the Bible says about money. And last week we had a general overview of some things that the Bible teaches, like God owns it all, avoid debt, have a plan, teach your children, understand the danger of money, don't let money define you, be aware of the final audit and some other things. So God's very interested in how we handle this. And if you and I are living a wise financial life, the church's finances will be just fine. So we want everyone to be healthy, uh, whether you have a good income or a bad income. You know, some good income people have bad financial lives and some low income people have good financial lives. It all comes down to doing it God's way and having some discipline and purpose for it. So today we're going to talk about a major topic on this in the Bible, and that's tithing. I've called this the test of tithing from Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and I'm going to begin by reading this text. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And all nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Our God's a giving, generous God and he wants us to be like him. And the fundamental concrete practice he gave to Israel and that he gives to us is called tithing. Now, if you grew up around the church, you already know about this and some of you have actually been practicing it for a long time. But to some of you, this may sound like an archaic word and may actually sound a little crazy and like a weird idea and wonder how in the world or why in the world would anyone want to do something like that. So I've designed this especially for people who are new to the tithing idea or those who have never tried it before. And I want to walk through a series of different questions that I hear all the time about this tithing. I'm going to call this Tithing 101. And the first question is, what is it? What exactly is tithing? The word tithe comes from a Hebrew word that literally means a tenth part or 10%. So the practice of tithing is giving 10% of my income back to God. And sometimes people will throw the word tithe around rather loosely. Someone will say, well, I think I'll tithe $10 this week. And in case you're mathematically challenged, that means your income would be $100. So because a tithe is 10%. The uh, The word tithe is actually... Not real popular, don't hear it a lot today. People rather use the word generosity or sharing. And I think one reason is because tithing is an actual percentage, an objective way to measure my generosity. 
But words like generous and sharing are more subjective. And it's easy to see ourselves as generous if we don't have to put a percentage to it. Oh, yeah, I'm generous. I gave someone $5 last week. But if you start getting challenged, if you get challenged to give 10%, ooh, now that's a different ball game. And I think we need to raise our idea of what it means to be a generous person. Quite frankly, most people are not generous, at least not in the biblical sense. I remember a bumper sticker that was very popular among Christians several years ago. It would say, honk if you love Jesus. Beep, beep, you know. Then one time I saw a bumper sticker, and I love this. It said, tithe if you love Jesus. Any idiot can honk. Amen? You tithers, yeah. The Bible says a lot about this subject, tithing. Uh, The book of Leviticus says, for instance, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Of course, it's an agrarian economy then. In other words, he's saying here, this is God's money. You don't give as like you feel like it. You don't give as you feel led. God says the tithe is already mine. 10% is holy. And I want you to regard that 10% as not even belonging to you. That 10% is mine. Verse 10 of our text says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In other words, this is how God provides for his ministry so that my house can be, be fed through our giving, through our tithing. And then he notice, he says, bring the tithe, not give a tithe. And that's not an accident. I cannot give something to you that doesn't belong to me. If it's your possession, I can bring it to you. But if it's your possession, I cannot give it to you because it's already yours. So you bring it to God because it's already his. So that tenth, that 10% is non-negotiable. And then if we give over and above that, then that would be our offerings. So God says, I want you to regard that tithe as mine. Well, what if I'm unable to tithe? That's the next question. Well, there's a Syracuse professor named Arthur Brooks who writes about scores of millions of people, of Americans, that never give to any charity, never give to anything at all. And when asked, why don't you give, the number one answer given by these Americans is, drumroll, what is it? The number one reason people give for not tithing I can't afford it. I don't have enough money. And the corollary to that is, of course, at heart, I'm a generous person. I would give more if I could afford to. And people say, I hear this all the time. And if I had a dime, uh, anyway, Mark, if I win the lottery, I'll pay off the Family Life Center. And with some people, I do believe it because they're already faithful. They've shown themselves to be faithful. But if you are not generous now, you will not be generous then. I've seen this over and over and over. Making more money does not make you more generous. We had a lady in one church that actually did win the lottery. Now, this was 30 years ago, and it was only $2.5 million, but it was pretty good. And before she won the lottery, she tithed. After she won the lottery, she tithed. Didn't change her at all. Now, here's what's interesting. The I can't afford to give reason is used more by upper income people than lower income people. Huh. Rich people can't afford it. Poor people can. And so we live with this illusion, if I had more, I'd give more. Probably not. See, here's the reality. Here's the statistics. If you make less than $25,000, generally they give 7.7%. 25 to 50,000, 3.5%. 75 to 100,000, 3%. It just keeps dropping. 100 to 200,000, 2.6%. And then over 200,000, it goes up a little bit to 2.8%. Now, why do those who make more give less? You know what the number one reason they give? We can't afford to. How does that happen? I mean, how in the world can that be? I thought, man, if I made 200,000, I think I could. 
I fall into that trap too. Here's how it happens. If I approach my money by saying, what are my expenses, and I take care of them first, my life will always fill up with expenses. It's just a rule of life. The more money I get, the more expenses I will get, and the more they'll demand a piece of the pie. You know, bigger house and better car and health insurance, and there's eating and food, and of course, food costs money, and then if we don't have time to fix food, so we eat out at the restaurant, and that's expensive, and got to get better clothes for the kids, and kids are expensive. Greedy little runts. Anyway, and then there's vacation. There's vacations and there's trips and, and all that other stuff costs money and so the expenses just get higher and higher and so God, all I've got left is leftovers. But God doesn't do the leftover thing. In fact, tithing will not happen if I use the leftover approach to my money. And this is where another very important principle comes into play closely associated with the tithe and that's what the Bible calls first fruits. The Bible was written back when people, of course, were in an agrarian economy And in Proverbs 3, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Or in Exodus, it says, Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. So the idea is that when I get paid, the very first thing I do with my money, the first portion I set aside for God, and I said, God, right off the top, this 10% is going to you, and that's the first fruits principle. So the tithe is not just the tenth, it's the first tenth. And God promises you will be blessed. Your barns will be filled to overblowing. So God is basically saying to every one of us, 90% of your income with his blessing is better than 100% of your income without his blessing. You live on the 90% and you'll be better off because I will bless you. So it's not just the 10%, it's the first 10%. Now, the way this works for us, you know, first check we write every month is uh, our tithe. Now, if you're under 30, checks are little pieces of paper people used to use to... We have, any, we have, any, we have a thing called a checkbook even. So, but anyway, the very first thing we would write is a check to God, our tithe to God, and say, God, this is yours, the first tenth. Now, some of you have it just taken right out of your bank account uh, regularly. And that act is saying to God, God, I trust you to bless with what I have left, And I'm also thanking you for what you've already provided. See, tithing is a statement of both trust and thanks. Thank you for what you provided, and I trust that you'll continue to provide. Now, you may wonder, well, why can't I make the first check out to the mortgage company? Well, here's why. The mortgage company can't bless you. You ever notice that? So far, Visa has never called me up and said, hey, if you pay us first, we'll pour out great blessing on you. In fact, Visa kind of hopes I don't pay them. You know, so they'll get this huge interest, and I'll be blessing their financial lives. The reality is if you wait to tithe until you can afford to it, you'll never do it, probably, probably never do it. The lethal word we talked about last week is that word later. I'll do it some other time, sometime in the future, not now. And that word later is simply another way of saying no. The best way to be able to afford to tithe is to begin to tithe. Whatever season you're in, wherever you're at, you know, if you're in college, I don't have any money, I'm in college, you can tithe. Everybody can do it. When we were... uh, first married, and we didn't have children, everybody said, if you wait to afford children, you'll never have children, right? Same thing with a tithe. My mom, my mom's 91 years old now. Her income is very small, uh, and she's tithed probably for over 80 years, still does. Mom and dad never made a lot of money. They were just faithful. You know what she'll tell you? I've been so blessed. She is rich. Now, if you're at a point where you truly, honestly cannot afford to tithe, you need to get help. 
If you're sitting here thinking, I can't do that. There is no way I can do that. You're in bad shape. And if you want to get right with God, if you want to get healthy, you need to get some help. And there are people we have that can counsel you. We have Financial Peace University is coming in January. And isn't that what you want? Financial peace? Don't you want to feel good about this, about your life and your finances? So you can be healthy and right with God. One of the most common questions that comes up is, should I tithe on the net or the gross? And I would say, well, it depends. Do you want God to bless the net or the gross? I've always taken the practice of tithing on the gross, and I know some people do the net. Here's another question that some ask. Isn't tithing part of the Old Testament legalistic system from which we've been freed by grace? We're not under the law anymore, are we? We're not under the Old Testament. And my answer is, well, in the first place, tithing was never intended by God to be a legalistic thing. It's always been about gratitude and trust and worship in the heart. You know, tithing is a trust issue, not a law issue. In Deuteronomy, it says, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. It's always been about the right heart and trusting God, not the law. Here's another thing. The principle of tithing predates the law. Moses gave the law to Israel on Mount Sinai, but hundreds of years before Moses, Abraham gave a tithe to a priest named Melchizedek before the nation of Israel was ever in existence or there was any law. The tithe was already a standard of giving. In fact, this principle of first fruits, anyway, goes back even before Abraham to Genesis 4 where Cain kills his brother Abel because of money, over giving. Genesis 4 says, Cain brought an offering to God from the produce of his arm. His farm, his arm, his farm. Abel also brought an offering, but from the firstborn animals of his herd, choice cuts of meat. God liked Abel and his offerings, but Cain and his offering did not get his approval. So Cain kills Abel because of his offering. Now, in the New Testament, we have another death because of the offering. Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead because they lied about their giving. So maybe when we take the offering, we ought to be shaking in our boots. Uh, in fact, if you're sitting next to someone who's a miser, you may want to move when the offering comes around. It could be deadly. Anyway, back to this. Ain, Abel and Cain. Abel gave the firstborn, the, the choice cuts. He gave the way God intended to give, way before the law. Firstborn, first fruits, first portion. God, this belongs to you. But Cain said, I'll give leftovers. I'll give what I want to give. I'm in charge of my money. So the principle of first fruits goes way back to the beginning. And then tithing is endorsed by Jesus. One time Jesus was criticizing some religious leaders because they were arguing whether they tithe on the spices or not. They would all tithe on the crops, but do we tithe on the spices and just kind of nitpicking stuff, making sure they're doing it just right. But Jesus says, you argue about tithing over these different things, but you've neglected justice and the love of God. And what he says is you should have practiced the latter, the justice and the love of God, without neglecting the former, which is tithing. In other words, Jesus doesn't come along and say, are you guys still tithing? Ah, we're not under that anymore. You can forget that. We've changed policies now. No, he doesn't say that. He continues the practice of tithing. He says you should have observed justice without neglecting the tithe. So you tithe, but do it with the right heart. I cannot imagine facing that final audit before God someday and saying, you know, God, I know you taught tithing to the Old Testament people and they gave a tenth and I know in addition to all the blessings they got, I've also been given the gift of Jesus and I have the cross and the promise of eternal life and the Holy Spirit. So I decided to ratchet down my giving five or six percent. Really? I can't imagine. Well, what happens if I tithe? 
Simple answer is you will be blessed. The Bible is remarkably clear and consistent about this. God says, I want you to tithe and then see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. So, now please understand, this is not a tithe to get rich scheme, okay? Uh, I, I had one guy, he started tithing for a while and got mad because he didn't get rich. You know, God didn't bless him. That, that's a false gospel that's prevalent in many, uh, many uh, I don't know, a lot of TV preachers today and a lot of even foreign countries too are preaching that you get a prosperity if you tithe and do the things of God and God will make you rich, the health and wealth gospel. That's not what's being taught here. What's being taught is just a basic principle. If you do things God's way, in God's universe, you'll be better off. You'll have a better attitude. You won't feel guilty when the preacher preaches on tithing. You'll have better relationships if you're a giving person. Do you want to be married to someone who's selfish? Selfish people do not thrive. Oh, they might get rich, but they do not thrive. Some of the richest people in our church, the world would call poor. Those who are really thriving. There are some people in our congregation who practice tithing, and if you were to ask them to describe their experience in one statement, they would say this, I have been blessed. I've seen churches and Christians get on fire about this. I've seen uh, uh, people get excited over a stewardship campaign. I've seen people growing and trusting God because it's such an adventure to trust God in this way. They get full of joy. I've seen people who are pretty nominal, pew sitters, and just kind of, you know, just sitting there. They get a new enthusiasm when they t- start trusting God with money. It is just better, uh, healthier to have a church full of tithing, generous, giving people than people who are concerned about themselves first. If you tithe and trust God, you will be blessed. I don't know how, but you will be. Well, what happens if I don't tithe? Well, what's God say here in Malachi? Answer, you are under a curse. I didn't say that. God said it. Why are we under a curse? Because we're robbing God. You're taking what's God, what is God's for yourself. Now, curse is a pretty strong word here. And when you clutch instead of give, you miss all the blessings of generosity and joy, and you actually become more preoccupied and more anxious. And it's not an accident, by the way, that the word miserable comes from the word miser. To be a miser is to live in misery, and people around you will be miserable. You're under a curse, God says. You're robbing me, and you're robbing yourself. So my first fruits is God's. And if I don't bring that 10% to him, and I keep it for myself, I am a thief. I am a crook. And what's worse, I'm robbing God, of all people. Personally, I wouldn't dare touch that 10% for myself. I would be scared to death not to tithe. And I believe that many people, I honestly believe this, are suffering and going through needless heartache and have bad things happen and sometimes have financial difficulty and they have bad attitudes and bad relationships and some unexplained difficulties because they're cursed. I honestly believe that. Let me ask, do you want a preacher who's cursed by God? Do you want elders or staff that's cursed by God who are robbing God? Do you want your family to be cursed? But what if I hear all this stuff and the honest truth is I'm scared and freaked out about this whole idea of tithing and my first response would be join the club. Trusting God is scary. And we'll talk more about that next week. But God says an amazing thing in this text. He says, test me in this. It's, it's like God is saying, I know you're scared and I know this really makes you nervous and I am determined that you're going to become generous rather than stingy And I'm going to invite you to do something here that I never invite you to do anywhere else in Scripture. God says, test me. Test him. 
Elsewhere in the Bible, we're told to not test God. Do not test the Lord your God. Testing means uh, I'm withholding my trust from you, God, or I'm, I'm putting you on probation, God. It's, it's presumptuous, and we're never to do that, except here, God, here, says, here's one exception. I'm so determined that you become generous that I will put the test me law aside in this matter of tithing, so put me to the test and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. I hear testimony after testimony about this kind of stuff. I just wish you could all experience this. There is one testimony I'm going to read for you this morning. I, uh, this couple is in this church, and I received this email uh, probably about six months ago, and they were having severe financial difficulties. They were on the edge of bankruptcy. Very few families here are in the shape they were in six months ago. Anyway, they went through some soul-searching times. They're devoted Christians. They know what the Bible says about money and finances. So they talked to me about this, and, and here's what they said in the email. It says, Mark, I just wrote our first tithing check this morning as I was doing the weekly bills, and I already have my first tithing testimony. And then she says, God is so good in capital letters. I was visiting with a friend who's had similar financial struggles as we have, and she is a strict 10% tither. And I asked her, Okay, so what do you do if your monthly house payment is 1000 and you made exactly 1000 that month? What do you do? Do you pay your house payment or do you pay your tithe? She told me that she would pay her tithe and not her house payment. Then she proceeded to share her testimony of how they too stopped tithing for a while due to financial difficulties, but then became convinced that they should tithe no matter what their financial situation and shared her testimony of how God had provided for them as they gave to God first. I think a lot of it is a fear factor for me. If I give to God, we will not have what we need. But tithing to God is also trusting in God that he is my provider. I thought many times about testing God, about giving our tithe for a couple months, and if God didn't provide for us, we could stop. I never did this because I didn't want to test the Lord my God and therefore commit blasphemy. This morning, I was studying what the word has to say about tithing, and I came across this scripture in Malachi 3. You are robbing me in tithes and offerings. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and test me in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the window of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And she says, while I was reading this scripture, I knew God was saying to me, test me. I can handle it. So this morning, as I was catching up on bills from being out of town, I figured out what our tithes should be first before I did anything else and wrote that check out. When I got done paying all the bills and divvying up the remaining money according to our budget, I had enough money left to pay our weekly groceries, but no extras. I then balanced our account with a monthly checking statement. The statement showed that some money had been automatically taken out of our account, just about the exact amount that I had left in the account for groceries, and I hung my head. Once again, we were one step behind. As I continued reconciling our account to the banking statement, I found a $300 deposit that I had not recorded. That was double the amount I had budgeted for the groceries. I immediately knew it was God's way of showing me that I can trust him completely to do what he's promised to do, and that is to provide for my needs. I had written on the calendar that today was the day we began tithing because I fully intended on testing God on this and was going to record when we started tithing and the blessing that came from it. I just didn't realize God was going to make his point so quickly. Not a bad idea. I'm going to start today tithing and then start writing down what are the blessings you receive. Well, that was wonderful. I emailed them a couple of weeks ago just to get an update, a little nervously, and I asked, how are you doing? To be honest, I was wondering, would God, was God taking care of them? Are they okay? I knew they were in hot water six months ago. Here's her reply. The short answer is, 
that even with the added expense of tithing, 10% of our income, we are paying off debt in record time and are doing financially better than we have ever done in the 10 years we have been married, even better than when we were a two-income family, and even though there's been no job change or obvious worldly explanation as to why this is so. And the financial change began immediately after we tithe the first time in line with what God has commanded. What do you think? Magic? No. I'm sure they had to do some budgeting. But God is not a liar. And he keeps his promise. And the only time God asks you to test him is right here with the tithe. Quit doing it your way. It's not working. You wonder why things are going haywire? You know, why your relationships are struggling? Or maybe your kids are, you know, maybe it's the curse. I I don't know. But I don't want to be cursed by God. 10% is his. Quit robbing him. See, it's hard to love someone. It's hard to worship someone that you're robbing. I mean, how does that work? So get out from under that. He will bless you. How? I don't know. But he will. I guarantee it. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this amazing challenge that you have placed before us through this scripture and this amazing promise. And I pray that wherever we are this morning, we're, we're all different economic backgrounds, I know, but I pray that all of us, including me, would pay attention to this word. God, uh, I pray that your word will speak to every one of us. I know it has, a, has a, something to say to each of us. And I just pray, Lord, that individually and collectively as a church, we will learn to be good man- managers and good stewards of what you've entrusted to us. Lord, I pray that decisions will be made right now that we'll trust you and honor and give you the glory with this area of our lives. Amen.